Well, just as a reminder, last week we learned how God gives each and every one of us gifts. And then within that, He establishes ministries where those gifts can be used. And not only that, He takes responsibility for the effectiveness of those ministries, working all things for the common good of His church. We learned how God puts just as much time and attention into His design of the church body as He did in the creation of of the miraculous human body. And the reason is, is because the church serves such an important purpose. The Bible tells us that we display the manifold wisdom of God. And so He fit us together. He empowers us by His Spirit in order that we might impact the world for Christ. Paul will continue that same analogy of the body as he continues this letter to the Corinthians, and as he does, he kind of takes a different perspective within that analogy. Let's look at it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 19. He said, And if there were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness, whereas our seemly members have no need of it. If you remember in our passage last week, it was the ear who was comparing himself to the eye and feeling inadequate in comparison, right? Well, today we see that it's the eye who is now looking at the hand, and he says what? I have no need of you. It's an attitude of superiority that promotes this idea of independence. I don't need you, because I can do it on my own. But as we've been learning, that goes against the very design of God, doesn't it? Because He created us to be interdependent on one another so that no one member can possibly stand alone and apart from the body as a whole. Now, as we think about this, I think there are a couple of ways where this attitude of independence might show up within the church. The first, I believe, is the most obvious. And that's this idea of arrogance. Now, it's still a comparison game, like we talked about last week. But this time, I'm comparing myself to someone who's weaker so that I look stronger. It's that idea that says, I'm better than you are. That my sin isn't as ugly as your sin. It's an attitude of superiority that leads to independence where we convince ourselves that you know what i prefer to work alone now that one's kind of upfront and obvious a little bit hard to miss but there's one that i think is a little bit more subtle and that's the same attitude in those who are absent those who live apart from the body of christ i i see this as something that's no less arrogant Because it's that same attitude of, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. It's interesting how 
Paul, when he's trying to make this point, he chooses the eye and the head, comparing themselves to the hand and the foot. Those who feel superior, looking down on those they consider to be inferior. Those who like to be in control, compared to those who are satisfied in simply serving. And the outcome of this comparison, as we see in this passage, is that, uh, that attitude that says, I can do this on my own. I, I look at what you do and I think, well, I could do that too. And very often, they do. <laughs> they do it all. They take charge and they're in control. But that attitude of independence, whether through arrogance or absence, is rooted in sinful pride which as we've talked about before, is the very core issue in the life of the Corinthian church. It stands in opposition. It is contrary to the design of God. In fact, it's more consistent with a worldly perspective than it is true kingdom values. Because if you think about it, what is the goal of life in this world? When, when do you know that you've arrived, that you've finally made it? Well, not from the world's perspective. From the world's perspective, it says, hey, I've arrived whenever I've worked hard, so hard that I've climbed my way to the top, and now I don't have to work as hard anymore. I can sit back and kind of rest on the laurels of what I've accomplished. But just think about that and how it stands in such stark contrast to the biblical values or kingdom values that we see in the life of Christ. The creator of the entire universe came not to be served, but to serve. He who had every right to be in complete control, Scripture tells us that he gave up that control to live in total submission. Not my will, but your will be done. Instead of climbing his way to the top, what does he do when his disciples had dirty feet? He kneeled down. And he washed their feet. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And if you think about his example now, think about how he then instructed his disciples, those who would follow him in faith. What did he tell them? The first will be last, and the last will be first. He uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And he who is least among you is greatest in the eyes of of God. Kingdom values ultimately are an upside down version of the world's perspective. And it's all a part of God's design. And we need to understand why. Look at verse 23 again. It says, And those members of the body which you deem less honorable, on these we bestow abundant honor. The point is, God's design has purpose, and that purpose is to be a stark contrast to what we see in the world around us. In fact, God exalts the one the world rejects. He's not looking for prideful self-sufficiency. His design is built on humble interdependence, a life of submission, not a desire to be in control. And here's the reason. Ultimately, God is most exalted in our dependence, not in our independence. To think about this, I want you to think back to Gideon in the Old Testament, right? A, a mighty commander of, 
a fairly significant army, about 10,000. It wasn't huge, but it, it at least gave them a chance against the other armies that might, they may face. What did God do whenever they were to go into battle? He took that army of 10,000 and he whittled it down to 300. So that when they were victorious in battle, no one would look at it and say, well, it was the size and strength of your army, because that was not true. The only conclusion they could come to is that your God has prevailed. In your weakness, he has been made strong. And that's the point. God's power is perfected in our weaknesses, not in the sufficiency of our strength. And I understand it's a hard concept because it is a paradox compared to what we see in the world around us. It's an upside-down version of the worldly perspective. But that's because the church is designed not to boast in the strengths of its members, but in the sufficiency of the God whom they all serve. That's the purpose. Look at how he continues in verse 24. He says, But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that, to that member which lacked, that there should be no division in the body. But the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If, if one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with it. God created the body of Christ with purpose. He designed it to be a contrast to what we see in the world around us. Because if you think about it, the world seeks to divide into categories, doesn't it? I mean, just look at our social structure. What do we have? Upper class, middle class, lower class. Ethnicities, we have black, we have white, we have Hispanic. Political affiliations, we have uh, Democrat and, and Republican. We divide each other into categories. And the reason is, from a worldly perspective, we get along best with people who are like us. And it's important to divide into categories because we don't want to mix. That's where trouble comes. But from God's perspective, the church breaks down the dividing walls. In fact, you don't need to turn there, but listen to this passage in Galatians chapter 3. Verse 28, Paul writing says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We're not identified by our divisions. We are identified by our unity. And to be an heir of Abraham is to be a, a, a part of God's family of faith. Where we are identified by what unites us and not what divides us. In fact, the whole point of the church is to see those walls come down. Where we are brothers and sisters in Christ, a part of the family of God. And we need to be intentional about not letting that influence of the worldly perspective invade its way into the life of the church because if we're not careful we'll start to develop ministries around that worldly perspective where we do ministry based on age-based groups right we have singles and we have 
college and career, and we have young couples, and we have senior saints. We do music, and we separate it into traditional and contemporary. We have men's ministry, and we have women's ministry. We create ministry around things we have in common so that we can spend time with people who are just like us. Now, I'm not suggesting that those things in and of themselves are inherently evil because there is great value into sharing life with people who are in a similar life season. That's important to walk through those things together. But if that's what defines us, we have lost what distinguishes us from the world around us. Do you see the difference? The gospel should produce a supernatural diversity within the body of Christ. The church should include relationships that, quite frankly, only exist because of the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no other worldly explanation why the two have become one. And so we need to be careful to, to protect and preserve that which is intended to be the distinguishing characteristic within the body of Christ when compared to the world around us. And we should be so deeply connected to each other that we share life at a deep emotional level. That's the point of verse 26. Look at what he says. And if one member suffers, then a few of them suffer. Is that what it said? If one member suffers, then they all suffer. If one member rejoices, then they all rejoice. Let me give you an example. Some of you know, I've mentioned before, I suffer from migraines from time to time. Anybody else suffer from migraines? Anybody ever had one? Okay, so you know that a migraine is not just a headache, right? It affects every part of your... For me personally, when I have a migraine, the light is like a sword in the middle of my head. It just sears pain. I am nauseous. I am... Uh, disoriented and, and, and dizzy. So I get in a dark room, I turn out the lights, and I put a pillow over my head and pray that this goes away. And during that time, not only is my body affected, but my emotions are involved. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. The, the point is, is that the body is so connected that one part can't be separated from the others. It's not just my head that hurts. It affects all of me. And the same is true within the body of Christ. When you're in a difficult place, I don't feel sorry for you. I feel sorry with you. That's what we're called to within the body of Christ. We should weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And this is a distinction from what we see in the world around us. Because from the world's perspective, there's a limit to my love. I can go only, only, go only so far as it's good for me. And if it starts to cost too much, I need to create some distance to protect myself. But love within the church should look different than that. It's vulnerable. It's risky. But it's what God has called us to. There's a great quote by C.S. Lewis, and I'm going to read it to you, but I want you to listen to it from the perspective of this comparison between love from the world's perspective and love from a biblical perspective. Listen to what he says. 
He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. Now, if you want to make sure of keeping it intact, it must give it, you must give it to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully and round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, unpenetrable, unredeemable. Because to love is to be vulnerable. That's the love of Christ made evidence in the life of the church. And that's what we're called to, to be vulnerable. So vulnerable to the point that when someone rejoices, we rejoice with them. And when they hurt, we don't separate ourselves. We draw near. Because the body of Christ has been designed so that any one part can never stand independent of the others. Our hearts should be deeply connected to one another to the point that we share the deepest emotions with each other and for each other. And it should stand in stark contrast to the self-protection of the world around us. Look at how Paul continues in verse 27. He says, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and the gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Are all, all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? And all do not speak in tongues, do they? And all do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. Paul's point as he continues here is that we are the body of Christ, which ultimately tells us that our life depends on Him. And, and through Him, we are deeply connected with one another, just as He fits us together. The you in verse 27 is a plural you. You, the people of God. You, the church of God. You, the ones He has knit together and connected at such an intimate level now everyone should have a crayon if you do pull out your crayon raise your hand if you have a red crayon okay if you've got a red crayon anybody have a blue crayon okay if you've got a blue crayon anybody have a crayon that's been used or broken raise your hand a few of you have one anybody not have a crayon and it's okay but let me see okay so we have a few that don't have a crayon all right I want you to think about this, and by the way, you can keep the crayon. Maybe it'll be a reminder, but here's what I want it to remind you of. Those crayons are like Christians within the church. They're different colors, different gifts and abilities, but how many of you brought your own crayon this morning? A couple of you. Okay, you just destroyed that part of the analogy, but let's pretend like, oh, well, there you go. Oh, highlighter. Okay, well, it's a little different. So my point in this is that most of you came without a crayon, and it was given to you. In, in the same way that you didn't have a gift 
unless God has given that to you. He has provided it to you. And I also want to remind you that within those different colors and gifts and abilities, there's some that are broken, there's some that are brand new. But does the broken one work any less efficiently than the brand new one? Absolutely not. And, and we also noticed that there were some who didn't have a crayon at all. And that's because just being at church on Sunday morning doesn't make you a Christian. And on any given Sunday, there are those who are here who have not put their faith and trust in Christ. And we pray with all our heart, with what we've done and what we've said, that it would point you to what it means to trust in a sacrifice that was made on your behalf. So that you too can be given the gifts of the abilities of being a part of the family of God, fit together, connected at a heart level as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's our hope. But God works all things for the common good. He's designed the body with just as much time and attention as he did in creating the miracle of the human body. And in verse 28, Paul begins to describe some of the things that, that God has done within the church, the different colors, if you will, the different crayons. And he says he's appointed them in the church. And so once again, this is his design according to his initiative. And I think as we look at these, we're going to group them together like we did last time because it seems to make more sense. Look at verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. He seems to segregate these out just to group them together first, second, and third. Apostles, prophets, and teachers. And all these seem to have the, the ministry of the word, don't they? They seem to communicate the truths of God for the, the founding and the edification of the church. And the, the thing that I want you to recognize about this particular group is the breadth in which they have impacted the body of Christ. How many of you who have put your trust in Christ have benefited from the testimony of the apostles? Every hand should go up. Do you see the breadth of the impact? And teachers and prophets, they're speaking truths that are intended to be applicable to all those who have trusted in Christ and follow God. But as you go down the list, the same does not necessarily apply. Look, after the teachers, he says, then miracles, then gifts of healing. These two gifts have a direct impact on a segment of the church body. Why? Because you only need healing if you're sick, right? And, and even then, if you look at the life of Christ, was everyone who was sick healed? No. So we have a, a smaller group, a smaller section within the body of Christ that these gifts given by God affect. Look at how he continues on. He says, and some helps and administrations. Now, those are interesting English translations. The, the word help simply means to care for those who are weak. Administrations was actually a, a word used for someone who would pilot a ship. Okay, and so the same idea here is these are specific people who are involved in certain aspects of ministry. The point being they are impacting and influence a segment of the church at large. Look at how he continues. Lastly, you have various kinds of tongues. What was last on the list last time we looked at this? It's tongues, wasn't it? What's interesting about this is we will learn as Paul continues, he's going to explain that the gift of tongues is actually a sign gift not for believers, but for unbelievers. 
And so do you see the progression of what Paul has just done as he's listed out these gifts? We started with things that affected every single one of us. The testimony of the apostles, the teaching, and the prophets. And then we narrow down to smaller and smaller segments until we get to the gift of tongues, which actually wasn't intended for the building up of the body of Christ to begin with at all. It was intended for unbelievers. And we'll walk through that more as we continue in Paul's letter. The thing we've got to remember is that to be a rock star in the Corinthian church, you had to have the gift of tongues. And so Paul is making the point that they need to turn their attention to things that are more important for the body of Christ as a whole. So in verse 31, when he says, earnestly desire the greater gifts, I want you to hear me on this. He's not telling individual members to want or covet or to desire specific gifts. I mean, how frustrating it would it be to desire something that wasn't yours to obtain in the first place? Remember, it was given to you by God. I believe what he's doing here is he's still speaking to the plural you. The church at large. And he's saying, seek and pursue and encourage those things that edify, comfort, and build up the body of Christ as a whole. That's where our heart and attention should be. The Corinthians were on the opposite end of the spectrum. They were so tuned in to the gift of tongues that they were disregarding everything else. And he's saying, no, no, no. It's down on the bottom. Affecting not even intended for believers to begin with. Instead, look to and encourage those things that impact the body of Christ as a whole. Now, he finishes up with a great segue to what we will talk about next week in chapter 13. And even with all that being said, there's still a more excellent way that supersedes everything that we just discussed, that actually has to be the motivation of everything that we just discussed, and that is love. And that's where we'll go next week but to kind of wrap up this morning and to take what we've learned and apply everybody pull out your bulletin if you would if you've got one with you and go to the very back of the bulletin and I want you to look at that excerpt now you can read it later but let me just tell you I want to expand on that concept with you because in that excerpt I mentioned uh, the USDA and their um, their their healthy balance diet what do they call it it's a Food, I called it a food pyramid when I was a kid because that's what it was, but now it's a food, what, plate? Yeah. So what they do is instead of a pyramid, it's a plate, same idea, and they just wanted you to know what a balanced diet looks like with fruits and vegetables and protein and milk and those sorts of things. Well, I want to take that same concept, and I want us to consider what it would be like to have a balanced diet of fellowship within the body of Christ. What does it look like when we're healthy? And good, according to God's design, as we've discussed in this passage this morning. Okay? You with me? All right, here's the first thing. I'd encourage you to write these down. These are evidences of a balanced diet of fellowship within the church. First is this. Have relationships with multiple generations. Have relationships with multiple generations. Some of you have been to other churches. Some of you are in the process of of finding a church home. And let me just tell you, this church is unique in the diversity of generations that are represented. Very often you don't see this. You have segments of the population that are inclined to one particular group, but not very often do you see the breadth of generations that you have represented within this body of Christ. 
And so my encouragement to you is don't get comfortable in relating to people that are only like you. Go out and and invest in relationships with people that are older than you. Have wisdom of having walked down life's path. And let them be encouraged by your desire to grow in faith. And invest in those younger than you. It's an overused analogy, but it's still true. It's good to have a Paul and a Timothy in your life at every moment of life. A Paul, somebody older who's more mature in the faith, who can invest in your life and disciple you. And then in turn, you look for those that are younger than you that you can then invest and disciple into their lives as well. So a balanced diet of fellowship within the church is evidenced by relationships with multiple generations. Second one is this. Look for opportunities to be hands and feet. Look for opportunities to be hands and feet. I think very often um, we need to involved in service to protect from selfishness. And sometimes the act of serving reveals selfishness. So serving doesn't only create character, it reveals it. And so sometimes when we serve those who are weaker than us and we get irritated and frustrated, it tells us that we've forgotten just how much we need Jesus just as much as they need Jesus. And so sometimes when we serve, and that's our heart, it reveals to us that we're not where we need to be because we've forgotten how much we need Jesus. So look for opportunities to be hands and feet, to care for the needs of others as more important than your own. Third one is this. Don't become isolated. Don't become isolated. If God created the church, with purpose, and he designed us to be interdependent on one another. It is a very unhealthy thing for any one member to be separated from the group. Don't become isolated. When Terry and I talk to our boys about dating, one of the things that we encourage them towards is to get to know people in large groups. The reason is, is because when you sit one-on-one with somebody, they can be exactly who you want them to be. But you put that same person in the context to a group, Now there's multiple relationships going on, and eventually, who they really are is going to be made very clear. So spend time with people in groups. And specifically, as it relates to our discussion of healthy community, I'm suggesting to you that you get to know people with and within the body of Christ. Because if you ever separate yourself as if there's something to hide, it usually is going to move you towards relationships that are not healthy to begin with. So get to know people with and within the body of Christ, the family of God. Don't become isolated, but recognize our interdependence on one another. I usually give you three, but since I'm talking balanced diet here, I'm going to give you four, two on each side. It's this. Don't underestimate the power of your presence in someone's life. Now, Recognize that I did not say the power of your words. Because very often we get into situations where we say to ourselves, I have no idea what to say. What can I possibly contribute to make any difference in this person's life? I want to suggest to you that the most important contribution you make is your presence. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Draw near to those in need. That is the miraculous beauty of our salvation. 
A God who didn't distance himself, but drew near to us. Dwelled among us so that we can experience his love firsthand. And so draw near. Be near people. Your presence sometimes is what matters most. So have relationships within multiple generations. Look for opportunities to be hands and feet. Don't become isolated and never underestimate the power of your presence. Those are good evidences. When you look at your life, that that's what a balanced fellowship community should be. And so examine your heart and see where you are. And I encourage you, if there's an area where you need to grow, to, to pursue that and to invite others to, to go along with you in that process. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the beauty of your design. I'm so encouraged to see that uh, what you did within the church was just not haphazard. It wasn't something that just was thrown together for the sake of meeting. But instead, you were so intentional. It's handcrafted by your divine design to accomplish such an important purpose of displaying your manifold wisdom to the world where you've fit each of us together, that you've empowered us by your spirit to impact the world for Christ. And Lord, as we consider the beauty of that gift that you have given us, that evidence of your love for us, that we would protect, that we would encourage, that we would promote what it looks like to be healthy within the body of Christ. We are so blessed within this church family to have such a diversity of, of generations represented in, in all walks and phases of life. Help us to enjoy the beauty of that design. Help us to, to draw near to people, to weep with those who weep, and to rejoice with those who rejoice. May our presence be important. Father, help us to not become isolated. It's so easy to be distracted, to be overwhelmed by all the details of things going on around us that the church just becomes another option of how to invest our time. But may we see it as a necessity so that this becomes of vital importance to our health and well-being. And because of that, may we look for ways to serve, to be hands and feet, to demonstrate your love for others by how we care for them. Considering the needs of someone else is more important than our own. Father, what a beautiful picture you have given us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I pray that the body of Christ at Melanie Park Church lives and breathes and does everything they can to represent what you've called us to through the work of your spirit in being submissive and obedient before you. We pray this in your gracious and loving name. Amen. Have a great day.